The rest of us, if you have your Bibles with you and you'd like to follow along, you can turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is where we're going to be at. This is the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, our last sermon in this series that we've been going through for about three months now. And uh, we are going to wrap things up with what Solomon concludes in this letter. We've spent the last three months um, struggling with Solomon as he attempts to try to find meaning and purpose in life uh, found under the sun. This, considering what he can reason, what he can rationalize, the things that are happening under the sun, he, he set out to discover meaning and purpose in life. And he gave us the conclusion of his, of his long journey and that all is futile, all is vanity um, and frustration. It's like uh, trying to, the Hebrew word that he uses there is like trying to wrestle the wind. No matter how hard you try, it's, you're unable to wrestle the wind. And that's what it looks like to him when he tries to find meaning and purpose in life found under the sun. And we've, uh, each and every sermon, I've taken the opportunity to not leave us where, where, where Solomon left us. In, the, uh, in his context, in his letter, he's employing irony, he's employing sarcasm, um, he's, uh, he's employing cynicism to demonstrate the futility of life and trying to and f- find meaning and purpose in life if you're just trying to find out what's occurring under the sun. And ultimately, we're going to see his resounding conclusion, the, the ultimate conclusion that he brings us to in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is that without understanding God and his purposes... Truly, there is no meaning and purpose. And, and even though this was written 10th century B.C., it brings us much. Uh, we have great uh, understanding because it, it applies to our culture in such a, 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 a marvelous way. 2022, yet we live in a culture that uh, demands that there is no creator, that demands that there is no absolute truth, that everyone can define truth as they want. And as long as the, the majority of society says this is right and this is wrong, that's what they go with. And, and what that ultimately leads to and the theory that there is no God and no accountability to, to the creator of these things leads to a society that is marching towards decay. And ultimately, as Solomon will show to us, marching towards, towards ultimate judgment. Because there is a creator. And he has made himself known. And there is meaning and purpose to our lives, but it's not found in what we do under the sun. It's found in his purposes. It's found in seeing our lives and walking our lives for his glory and not our own. These are the things we've talked about the last several weeks. And, and so let's go ahead and conclude now what Solomon says in verse number 1 of Ecclesiastes 12. He says this, Ultimately, in the first verse, in the first seven verses, he says this: "Futility awaits." Last week, at the end of chapter eleven, he tell, he addresses the youth. He's like this old cynical sage, and he's standing up there, and he gives them. He says, "Remember your youth, enjoy your youth, celebrate your youth, because you're going to grow old, and you're gonna your body's going to start to fall apart, and you're going to be full of pain, and there's going to be many trials and tribulations in your life. So enjoy your youth," he says in the end of Ecclesiastes eleven. And now he Ecclesiastes twelve, he's telling the youth to remember something while they're young because that futility the trials and tribulations of life are coming their way remember what it was like to be a teenager 
You thought you had everything figured out, but you had hardly any consequences, right? You just showed up and there was, well, maybe not. Maybe some of you had a, a hard, I'm kind of assuming everyone had the, the lifestyle I grew up in. But when I was a teenager, it was about, I, I, had, I was free and carefree. I had no, no troubles. There was always food in the refrigerator. There's always milk to drink, right? I didn't have bills and responsibilities. But then I was talking to Lucas last night and I said, Hold out as long as you can, because adulting's hard, right? Enjoy your youth, Solomon says. But he says also here in, in 12, he tells you to remember something. Verse 1, so remember your creator in the days of your youth. He's telling these youth that they need to remember that there is a God, that they have a creator that they're accountable to, and that they need to be aware of that when they're young, Because trials, tribulations, the storms of life are coming. And without the foundation of God and the Lord in your life, right, all of us are left to be blown away in the midst of the storm. And so he's reminding the youth of this. So remember your Creator in the days of your youth, and you need to do that before the days of adversity come. That's a reflection of like the psalmist says in Psalm 1, right? Happy is the, the man who, who delights in the Word of God because he's like a tree that's by, by uh, rushing waters and, and his roots have the sustenance and the, the leaves of the tree never, never fade or fall off because the water's right there. That's, that's what a person is who, who delights in the Word of God, who remembers and fears their God and their walk as opposed to someone who does not and walks in unrighteousness and do, walks away from the, the Word of the Lord. He, the psalmist says he's like a tree that's out in the desert and parched. And when the storms come, the tree's blown over and blown away. And Solomon's reminding the youth, while you're young, establish this as your foundation. Remember that you have a Creator and ultimately we're accountable to Him. Remember your Creator before the days of adversity come and the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in them. Right? The cynicism that will ultimately prevail for a person that is living their life trying to find meaning and purpose just under the sun without God's purposes. Before the sun and the light are darkened, he's saying our eyes will grow dim. Either that or uh, through travesty, right? our outlook on life will be darkened. And the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain. On the day when the guardians of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, Right when there's a tax coming upon your house, the women who grind grain cease because there are few. The workers begin to cease. The ones who watch through the windows see dimly. Again, pointing us towards this bleak future, the cynical future of this world as we grow old. Verse 4 The doors at the street are shut while the sound of the mill fades. When one rises at the sound of a bird and all of the daughters of song grow faint, joy begins to fade. Also, they are afraid of heights and dangers on the road. People become fearful, have fear to step out into their city. And the almond tree tree blossoms. The grasshopper loses its spring. Right, Things aren't working the way they should. The caperberry has no effect. For the mere mortal is headed to his eternal home. And mourners will walk around in the street. 
Again, painting this dark picture, a cynical picture of the future. So he's telling the youth, remember God in all of this. Remember him as your foundation. Verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped, a, something, an heirloom, a family heirloom, a, a cord made of silver, you prize it. You, it's a, something that's handed down to you. Well, ultimately, right, it'll snap. It'll break. Or the golden bowl will be broken. And the jar is shattered at the spring. You go walk to the, to the spring to get water and you trip and stumble or the, the jar falls off the rock and it shatters. And, right? and the will is broken to the well. You go to the well and you're using the will to, to bring up the bucket and the will breaks. Again, describing the trials and tribulations of life Verse 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it once was. Right? His, he's bringing his futility to uh, a conclusion again. And the Spirit, right? Uh, those of us who are made in the image of God, our spirits returns to God who gave it. We will ultimately be held accountable to God. All of us are spiritual beings. When we die, we do not cease to exist. And Solomon's reminding us of that. The Spirit, as the dust returns to the earth, the Spirit will return to God. Again, pointing to accountability to our Creator. And so he gives us the preacher's objective conclusion in verse 8. I say the preacher's objective conclusion because the, the word, the Hebrew word that he uses for, for himself is kaholet. And kaholet means preacher or teacher, a gatherer of wisdom who then distributes what he's learned. And so your translation might say teacher, or your translation might say preacher, but the word Ecclesiastes is ultimately koholet, which means teacher. And what does the, the, the teacher give us as his objective conclusion? When he, I say objectively, when he uses his reason, when he observes this, the environment and the world around him, he concludes that if there's meaning and purpose to be found, it's this, futility, absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. But we must remind ourselves of what he began with. Solomon started off chapter 12 with the preacher's theological conclusion. That is, who he knows his God is and who his God has revealed himself to be. His objective conclusion to use reason he can't find meaning and purpose, but if he knows who his, he's, he's knows who and has demonstrated and interacted with the God who's created him, he understands that ultimate meaning and purpose can be found in him, in God and his purposes. And so he's telling the youth his theological conclusion. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Craig Bartholomew says this concerning this verse in Baker's commentary. What he's saying here in verse 1 is it's referring to allowing the notion of God as creator so the youth are to, to understand that they have a creator. And that is that understanding that there is a creator is to shape our life, to shape our lens of life, that God is working. And not only to allow God as creator to shape our lens of life, but also, as he goes on to say, in this quote here, and one's handling of life's enigmas. An enigma is uh, you know, those trials, the puzzling things that we can't figure out. We don't understand why they're happening to us. 
the puzzling parts of life, and we know we have a relationship with God, but yet God allows these trials to come into our life, and those are enigmas because they contradict traditional wisdom that says if you do righteous things, if you pursue God, you will be blessed, and then we do righteous things, and we pursue God, and then it feels like we're being cursed. Those are the enigmas of life. And so the understanding of not only God shaping our lens of, of life and finding meaning and purpose, but also to, to help us endure those trials and tribulations, that God is still in control. God is sovereignly working. And those are the things we cling to when the enigmas of life come, as we should anyway, as Scripture calls us to. He goes on in verses 9 through 11. He kind of gives us like, I don't I want to say a parenthetical thought. He, he kind of justifies his intention, right? He's concluding his, his letter now. And so he's, verses 9 through 11, he kind of justifies why he gathered these, these wise sayings that we've gone through, why he's collected this wisdom. To, he explains his intentions in verses 9 through 11 to gather wise proverbs and to teach them accurately, the truth to, to others. Right? Wisdom is only wisdom is when you can take knowledge that's been applied and, and then use it in your own life. That's when it becomes wisdom. All of us can be full of knowledge, but unless we allow that knowledge to impact our life, to let it play out, we are not exercising wisdom. And so he gives us his reasoning for that. And then back to his resounding conclusion, his ultimate, right? He gave us the first first chapter, the first couple verses. He says, this is my conclusion. All of life is absolute vanity. And then he goes on for these 11 plus chapters to tell us why. And he shows us all the things that he observed. And we've walked along with him as he's struggled to find meaning and purpose. We've struggled to, to find understanding in what he's writing. But his resounding conclusion, what he's truly, right, I feel like he's, uh, and this is, this is kind of my, my conclusion, my personal conclusion, that he, he brought us to the point where he, he explored every part of this life, riches, relationships, uh, Following wisdom, following, not being following wisdom, following righteousness, not following. He's explored everything to try to give us meaning and purpose found under the sun. And he says it's all futile. He, he broke us. He took us to the end of ourselves, which is exactly where we need to be if we're going to live our lives for the glory of God. To come to the end of ourselves and say, it's not about me. It's about glorifying God in my life and in my walk. And this is his conclusion that he brings us to here in verses 12 through 14. But beyond these, my son, be warned. There is no end to the making of many books. Again, we can have so much knowledge. Geniuses like read, that's all they do is read books and philosophy books and they actually understand them. Sorry. But it's, it's just knowledge. And it can be ultimately useless in finding meaning and purpose without considering God. There is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. I wish I had that text when I was in high school. Right? Mom, God's Word says, much study wearies the body. Just pointing to as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. 
professing themselves to have all the answers, to be in control and to reject God and what He's doing is actually foolishness when you consider God. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, he says. I believe this is verse 13. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. So this is his resounding conclusion. Fear God and keep His commandments. Because this is for all of humanity. That's his true conclusion. That's what God is bringing to us to us today through His inspired Word is we are to fear God and we've talked about fearing God. We, we understand that fearing God is not to be afraid of Him necessarily. Right? If you're, in, if you're in Christ this morning, if you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus, we do not have to fear our God. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But we still acknowledge His holiness and how far we truly fall short. And the fact that our relationship with Him is through His grace alone. That there's nothing inside of us that is good that merits a, that, the relationship that we have through Him. And that is a fear of God. That's a healthy understanding of who our God is in spite of the fact that God has released us from the condemnation of sin. But it does not release us from this command of Scripture is to fear Him, not only to understand and respect Him, but to keep His commandments. Because this is all for, this is for all humanity. He goes on to say, why? For God will bring every act to judgment, every, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. There is coming a day, and I've had a few sermons right, in Ecclesiastes talking about the end of the story, what we see in, the, in Revelation, that there's coming a great white throne judgment that God will judge every work and every evil ever done. No one is getting away scot-free. Justice will be um, carried out. Except for those who are found in the Lamb's Book of Life. For those who have heard the gospel message that Jesus Christ, the God of very gods, the second person of our triune God who, who has forever been in perfect union with the God the Father and, and God the Spirit as the, our triune God took upon flesh, became in the form of a servant, a man, and came and lived that law that you and I could never live. And He lived it perfectly. Only to go to the cross to pay for the sin of mankind. For all who would believe, God, the holy and just judge, poured out His wrath and judgment upon His Son, the spotless Lamb of God, so that in Him, He that became sin, He that knew knew no sin, 1 Corinthians 5.21 became sin for us so that we might be given the righteousness of God in Him. God is holy and just. He must punish sin. It's going to come at that great right throne judgment, but for those who have heard this gospel message, who have received this gospel message, have, have believed it, and by faith trusted in, in this, uh, His accomplished work alone, we are found in the righteousness of Jesus. We are found in Christ. 
Because Jesus paid the sin penalty for us. That's the good news. You can be reconciled to your God this morning. Not through keeping a bunch of rules or self-righteousness, but through the gracious gift of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. So that day, when that day comes, you will be found guiltless because God's demonstrated His love towards you and extended you grace and mercy in Jesus. But does that release us from living lawlessly to live this life and referring Jesus to live it just however we want? And Paul's answer the entire New Testament Scripture declares, heaven forbid. Not at all. As Christ followers, we are to reflect God's holiness and God's character in this fallen and broken world as best we can. And the good news this morning is, is it's not up to you. It's not through your own self-righteous works and how much you can whip it up within your own internal uh, fortitude. It is through the enabling power of God the Spirit who indwells the heart of every believer. He desires to do that work in you and through you. But to live our lives, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, for the glory of God, to live our lives in the fear of God, to reflect His goodness around us. Right? We started last week by talking about prayer. A simple acknowledgement of the fact that in and of ourselves, our will does not align with God's will. And we must come to Him in prayer in agreement saying, God... Please change my heart's desires to reflect your will for my life. My desires and my, my, the things that I want are, are in conflict with what you desire. I see that in my very being. And we showed it and Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, right? He's being honest. He's about ready to face something he does not want to face. Your will be done and not my own. And so to live our lives for the glory of God starts with that. Every moment, for me, not my will, but yours be done. But Scripture also calls us not just to pray that and sit back and, right? Scripture calls us to step out in faith and obedience and pursue this life that God has called us to in obedience and righteousness. Again, not so we can have another feather in our cap or earn our merit and favor with God that's been given to us in Jesus. All the love and merit you have with God has given to you in full when you encounter Jesus in a saving way. We don't be righteous to, to earn merit with him or earn a higher, right? We earn righteous or we walk in righteousness to, to reflect who he is because it's what he's called us to do, to be his light of the world, to be the salt of the earth. And if we go on living like hellions, we are not reflecting the God who saved us. And so not only do we begin in prayer to come into to God with agreement, my will conflicts with yours, but now God calls us to step out in faith to walk in obedience for His glory. And the New Testament's replete with commands such as these. The Apostle Peter writes in his first epistle, verses 14 and 15, As obedient children, children of God, 
Do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God calls us to a life of holiness. And if we're truly going to live for God's will and in the fear of God, right, we're not going to definitely, your pastor is the number one example. You're not going to be perfect at it. That does not excuse us from attempting to step out in faith and obedience to try to walk this path, understanding that it's through the power of the Spirit that we can step by step, day by day, be able to live this out in our lives. And again, I I just want to be careful. All of us are at different points in our walk with Jesus. The last thing a, a physical representation of Christ's bride, His church, is to do is compare each other with one another. Oh, you're doing so much better, right? The, the person that was saved at a young age and has been walking with Jesus their entire life versus the drug addict that just got saved a year ago, their, their walks with Jesus are going to look drastically different. different. Their, their attempts to step out in righteousness are going to look drastically different. But it does not excuse the fact that we, God, that's what God calls us to do and faith and obedience, understanding that He who began a good work in us will complete it. Peter calls us to be holy. Jesus, when He in His earthly ministry, ministry in John 14, Jesus said, if you love Me, keep My commandments. Paul, a laundry list of commands, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 24, and Colossians chapter 3, 9 and 10, he talks about daily putting off the old man, what we were before encountering Jesus, putting that off, dying to self, and putting on the new, the character of Jesus Christ, and pursuit of him in faith and obedience. So if we were to follow Solomon's advice to fear God and keep his commandments, in the New Testament perspective, we understand God has enabled us to do it through the power of the Spirit, through the sword of the Spirit, the word that He uses in our lives to cut away the the dross and those things that so easily beset us in our relationship with God. He he has given us tools in our lives to be able to, to, to carry this out as we step out in faith first in prayer. God, transform me because I know how many of you have spent years of your life trying to Make yourself a better man or woman in your own strength. Only utterly to fail. God has to do a work in us. It's transformation from the inside out, but, but we see that, and so we go to God in prayer and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. But then we step out, and we become doers of the word and not hearers only, as James says. It's through the power of the Spirit. By walking in the Spirit allows us to have this communion with God. By praying, it allows us to have a conversation with God. These are the things of a person who desires to live their lives out for the glory of God. Again, not perfectly, but right. we need to be reminded all the time of this is what God calls us to do. And it's ultimately about the lens in which we look at life through. Solomon right, gave us a lens in Ecclesiastes of this is the lens. If you just look at life about under the sun, what's happening under the sun, it's futile. It's vanity. There's no meaning or purpose. If your lens is just that, like all of the secular culture around us, right? There is no meaning and purpose. We're all just a cosmic accident. 
But if we look at the lens of not only who God is and what he's doing, if we look at the lens in the New Testament context of the gospel, through the gospel, if we look at this world in your life through the lens of the gospel, that is when, as we don those, those, the lenses of the gospel, that is when God can be glorified in our lives. I was talking last night about, I'm sure all of us have done it, maybe as you're a kid or something, or your grandpa or your dad left his glasses on the table and you, you pick them up and you put them on in their prescription and you're just like, whoa, right? Instantly get nauseous and want to fall down. And then you feel really bad that he can't see very well. At least, anyway, rabbit trail. Um, so that's, that's a, a lens, right? The lens is skewed for that particular, those are designed for a particular person. Or maybe as you're driving down uh, the, the highway, there's a huge thunderstorm, water range is coming down, you got your, your windshield wipers on full blast and you can barely see. Has it ever happened when that windshield wiper decides to disintegrate on you or fly off? And the next thing you know, you can't see it all. Right? The lens in which we look at life through is very important. Kent, he's a welder. He teaches welding. Right? They, the, the old school glasses, anyway. To arc weld, you have to put these, this lens on, this helmet on that has a lens, a dark lens, to protect your eyes from the flash because you can damage your eyes. Well, the problem is you can't see through it until the, the arc is. So learning how to put your welder where you need it and, and not be able to see is, is quite the skill. Right? The lens needs light for people to look through it. And for us as Christians, the lens in which we look at our life through is important. And to look at the lens of life uh, 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 through the gospel is of dire importance for us. Yes, God calls us to live in righteousness, to keep His commands, to walk in holiness. But it is through the power in which we are enabled to do so. And so we must look at God's call for us through the lens of the gospel. And I think Paul sums this up very well in Romans chapter 6. And if I had my preference, I'd take you through the entire chapter, but I knew that people would not be very happy with me. But Lord willing, I'll be able to, verse by verse, walk us through Romans one day. It's just a tremendous book. But in Romans chapter 6, he talks about the lens in which we operate. The lens of the gospel, I think, is pulled out here. Romans chapter 6, verses 9 through 14, because we know that, that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die, and death no longer rules over him, right? Through Christ, through his resurrection on the third day, he has victory over the sin of the, the, the consequences of sin, the curse, death, and separation. Not only physical, but through, and spiritually as well, we're separated. Uh, the, uh, the physical death comes through sin, and also our spiritual separation with God comes through sin as well. But in Christ, He's overcome those things. Death no longer rules over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once and for all time. Amen? It's done. He's on the cross. He said, It is finished. The Old Testament points to the the coming of Christ, the Lamb of God that would come. And day after day, year after year, they would shed the blood of lambs to, to point towards that ultimate time when Jesus would die once and for all. But the life He lives now, for the death that He died, in verse 10, He died to sin once for all time, but the life He lives, He lives to God. 
Again, living for God's purposes. Even Solomon understood this, and this is what he desires to give to us. The Spirit desires to give to us through Ecclesiastes. Verse 11, So you, to consider yourselves... So here it is. This is where we become doers of the Word and not just hearers only. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Christ has broken you free from the, the, the bondage of slavery. It no longer has the power over you because there's no condemnation for you. You've been set free in Christ. Consider yourselves dead to sin. But not only that, we don't want to stop there. We want to be alive to God in Christ Jesus. To live for God's glory. To reflect His goodness and what He's done for us in Jesus. That is where we find meaning and purpose. Verse 12, Therefore do not, let your, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Guess what, Christians? And we all know this. We can let sin remain and, and reign in our bodies. We talked a couple weeks ago about having to choose what is wise and what is foolish. And every day as Christians, we get to choose what is wise in the eyes of God or what is foolish as we pursue our own desires. And he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. Your children are the king. He has set you free. And he desires this in your life to live for his glory. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God. He'd go on in Romans 12 to say, present yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And look what he says here, and all the parts of yourselves to God. I don't know if you're like me, but I have, I have aspects of my life that I give to God, and then there's other things that I just kind of harbor and hold on to. Nope, this is for me. God says, give it all. Die to self. In Him you will find meaning and purpose. Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God. For what? As weapons of righteousness. As we look at life through the lens of the gospel, this is what God can do in our lives. We right, become obedient to the call to step out in faith and allow the Spirit to work in our lives day by day. As we cling to Him in prayer, asking God, not my will, but yours be done. He goes and finishes, or I finish here in verse 14 in Romans 6. For sin will not rule over you. Hmm. So grateful for that. Sin is no longer my master. Because you are not under the law, but you're under grace. God's unmerited love extended to you in Jesus. Walk in that. That is the lens in which we pursue righteousness to glorify God in our walk to bring glory to him in every aspect of our lives Lord willing both individually and collectively as a church let's pray father we thank you for this opportunity God to worship you through the preaching of your word God we just ask your spirit would begin afresh and anew that you just pour out an extra measure of your grace upon us now Lord that we would truly be transformed from the inside out as we understand and see what you desire to do in us but yet there's parts of our inner being lord the 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 heart of of stone god that desires to hold on to our selfishness god transform us change us through the power of your spirit 
Help us to step out in faith and obedience. For your glory's sake, we ask these things. In the name of Jesus, amen.